0: Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thanks for joining us for this podcast of ASHP's podcast series on medication safety, the podcast where we discuss current trends in medication safety, regulatory issues, and best practices that improve patient care. This is part of the ISMP Best Practices podcast series supported by the Medication Safety Advisory Group. My name is Erica Thomas, and today we'll be chatting with Megan Rowcliffe, the Pediatric Medication Safety Officer at the Johns Hopkins Hospital, and Rudvik Jossi, the Medication Safety and Compliance Coordinator at Moffitt Cancer Center, about the ISMP Best Practice Number 13, which is eliminating promethazine from the formulary. Thanks for joining us today. We're gonna start off with a question for you, Megan. Best Practice 13 was introduced in 2018 to the ISMP Targeted Medication Safety Best Practices for hospitals, but for those who may be unaware, let's start with an overview of this best practice. Sure, thanks for having us today. And
1: I'm so delighted that one of our former medication safety residents, Rupvic, is here with me today on this podcast. But to start, I'm happy to provide an overview of this best practice. So ISMP recommends removing injectable promethazine from all areas of an organization, and that includes the pharmacy. They recommend classifying as a non-stock, non-formulary medication and removing any injectable permethazine orders from medication order screens and order sets and protocols and replacing it with a medical staff approved automatic therapeutic substitution policy to convert any injectable permethazine order to a different antiemetic. As we all know, injectable permethazine can be used intravenously or intramuscularly, but with this best practice recommendation, both
0: of these routes are no longer an option. Oh, thanks, Megan. I have another question. What is the rationale behind this recommendation? ISMP
1: brought attention to the risk of serious tissue injuries and amputations with injectable promethazine starting in 2006, following the submission of case reports. Injectable promethazine has been included on the ISMP list of high-alert medications since 2007. This best practice aims to eliminate that risk of serious tissue injuries and amputations from inadvertent arterial injection or IV extravasation
0: of injectable promethazine. Great, thank you. Rudvik, I have a question about the typical sequence of events with injectable promethazine extravasation or incorrect root administration.
2: First of all, thank you so much for having me on this podcast. But typically, with respect to the sequence of the events uh, with injectable promethazine extravasation or incorrect route administration, typically within first 24 hours, we see that patient may experience cramping, skin mottling, phlebitis, and paresthesia. Uh, Following that, in in the next uh, 24 to 36 hours, patient may experience ischemic contractures, digital edema, and and muscle swelling. And thereafter, uh, taking from 36-hour to two-week period, patient may also experience uh, gangrene and and necrosis. And the overall mechanism of action leading to all these effects in patient has to do with norepinephrine-mediated vasoconstriction, thrombosis, endothelial inflammation, and cytotoxicity.
0: Okay, thank you for that. Um, I have another question for you. What is the Food and Drug Administration's stance on the use of injectable promethazine?
2: Yeah, so FDA has actually received numerous reports of thrombophlebitis, tissue necrosis, and gangrene with injectable promethazine. From 2009, FDA started requiring injectable promethazine manufacturers to highlight the risk of severe chemical irritation and serious tissue injury regardless of the administration route in the form of a boxed warning. When when given intravenously, the drug can leach out of the veins, causing serious damage to the surrounding tissue. Intraarterial and subcutaneous administration of injectable promethazine is contraindicated.
0: Mm -hmm. All right, thank you very much. Megan, can you tell us what is ASHP's stance on the use of injectable promethazine? So
1: ASHP's stance is as a little less restrictive versus ISMP's, as it still recognizes permethazine as a treatment alternative in limited c- clinical circumstances. But overall, it encourages health systems to establish medication use processes that reflect nationally, recognized best practices, to limit the potential for patient harm when permethazine is necessary. Additionally, ASHP supports health system efforts to restrict use of promethazine by encouraging alternate routes of administration or use of therapeutic alternatives when
0: appropriate. Okay, thank you. Rudvik, can you tell us a little bit about the stance of international organizations on the use of injectable promethazine?
2: Yeah, looking, looking at international organization, especially World Health Organization, actually stopped including promethazine on their model list of essential medication as an anti-emetic agent for both adult and pediatric patient populations since 2009.
0: Okay. Megan, a component of this best practice is to implement a medical staff approved automatic therapeutic substitution policy to convert all injectable promethazine orders to another antiemetic. What alternatives can be recommended instead of injectable promethazine? I think this is what our listeners want to know
1: most. (laughs) So I do want to note, though, that promethazine can be administered rectally. There is a rectal suppository available commercially, though, you know, that may not be a favorable option for a lot of patients. But given that there are alternative injectable medications, which include prochlorperazine, metoclopramide, ondansetron, dexamethasone, droperidol, and even diphenhydramine. It's, it's important to consider the onset of action, which each of these each of these agents and dexamethasone, metoclopramide, and droperidol have the quickest onset of action. Ondansetrons typically use first line, but it does have a slower onset of action. It takes about 30 minutes. So that's not always desirable, especially when you're trying to treat a patient with refractory nausea. Prochlorperazine has the slowest onset of action, 30 to 60 minutes, but that has been an agent that, you know, at least at our institution, we've provided to prescribers and stakeholders as an option, given it is pretty effective once it, it does take action. Many of these alternatives can be administered undiluted IV push versus promethazine, which would require dilution prior to use. It is important to note the potential for adverse effects associated with each of these agents as most include hypotension extrapyramidal effects or QT prolongation. So those are all important to consider when um, making alternative
0: recommendations. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. That was great information. Thanks so much. So, Rufik, I have a question about, for those institutions who continue to work on this best practice, what steps would you recommend for them to successfully implement this?
2: Yeah, we would recommend that those institutions continuing to work on this best practice, analyze the current use of injectable promethazine at their uh, respective locations, gain leadership support to restrict or eliminate the use of injectable promethazine, Uh, They can also discuss and gain prescribers' buy-in, especially anesthesia, surgery, and emergency department providers. They are the highest user of of this particular medication. They can also work with PNT to develop formulary restrictions and and alternative recommendations, and they can then implement that uh, at their institution. And lastly, you monitor its use over a period of time to, to take appropriate corrective steps thereafter.
0: Yeah, those are great recommendations. Thanks. So I want to know from both of you, what lessons have you learned about this uh, best practice? Sure, I can start.
1: This best practice has definitely engendered a lot of discussion, given it's it's pretty controversial. I think one of the most important lessons we've learned is that having a provider champion, uh, ideally from you know each one of the services that Rupik just mentioned, so anesthesia, surgery, emergency medicine is really important to the success of this and getting leadership support as well. You know, and those that continue to struggle with it, you definitely should prioritize this process change and assess your current risk and the mitigation strategies that you currently have in place. Perhaps you can come up with some compromises, if you can't completely remove injectable permethazine from your institution, that's kind of, you know, where we stand currently, at least at Johns Hopkins. And so some, you know, strategies would include removing permethazine vials from the Pixis if it's currently stocked there and adding it to a list of medications, which cannot be loaded in the automated dispensing cabinets. You would... Also consider restricting use of permethazine to a diluted form only uh, that would be used for slow infusion or IM administration. If you do allow the IV route and you have it stocked in the automated dispensing cabinet, consider developing a kit that would promote dilution prior to administration if you otherwise can't dispense it from the pharmacy in a diluted form. Also, we would like to recommend Limiting the max dose of IV promethazine to 12.5 milligrams to lessen the chances of extravasation or other harm associated
2: with this agent.
1: Rubik, anything to add to those lessons learned?
2: Oh, I think I think that that that's a quite comprehensive list of things that we have learned while working on this topic at Johns Hopkins. But yes, like it, it's hard to come up with like one easy solution, like with respect to what ISMP has recommended and and looking at what the current clinical practices are, it it might be very hard to completely eliminate the use of uh, injectable promethazine, but definitely restricting it to like the patients who, who really need them clinically will be probably the best uh, compromise. And, and, and using automation and, and policies and, and how we stock injectable promethazine and how we dispense it will be the best route to go at this moment.
0: Wow. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, that's all the time we have today. And I want to thank Megan Rowcliffe, and Vik Joshi for joining us today to discuss best practice number 13. And if you haven't before, I'd encourage you to check out all ASHP's medication safety resources. You can find member exclusive offerings such as the Patient Safety Resource Center, patient education resources through medicationsafety.com and exchange ideas and questions with your peers on the ASHP Medication Safety Connect community. Thanks for tuning in for this session of ASHP's podcast on medication safety, and be sure to subscribe to ASHP Podcast through your favorite podcast provider. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript.